0: This is episode number 261, Why You Should Subtract More with Lighty Klops. Welcome to the Sonia Looney Show. This is a podcast about how to live a high-performance life, spanning the categories of mindset, plant-based nutrition, and inspiring stories to help you be better every day.
1: When we have a situation, whether it's you know, the Lego bridge or whether it's your training schedule, whether it's some, you know, mental framework that you have in your head. Why is it that our first instinct is to think about what we can add to make it better? And why do we overlook this option of, hey, what what might we take away to make this situation better?
0: And sometimes being better means figuring out what's truly important. And in a world where we have countless options and so many opportunities and are fortunate to have those, sometimes it can be hard to simplify our lives so that we can focus on the most important things. Now, today's guest is somebody that I really enjoy talking to. His name is Lydie Klotz, and he is a professor at the University of Virginia studying how we transform our lives from how they are to how we want them to be. He co-founded and co-directs the Convergent Behavioral Science Initiative, CBSI, at the University of Virginia. CBSI works to address climate change, system inequality, and other issues that combine the understanding of human behavior and the systems that this behavior creates. He has also authored over 80 research articles and has appeared in Nature, which is a highly prestigious journal, The Washington Post, Fast Company, and more. Prior to becoming a professor at University of Virginia, Leidy designed schools in New York City and played professional soccer. His recent book, Subtract, The Untapped Science of Less, was released recently in April 2021. And I read the book and really enjoyed it. It focuses on problem solving and looks to prove why we overlook subtraction in our lives and how we can access its true potential. The book taps into why we add to-dos to our lists instead of stop-doings. And I don't know about you, but my to-do list is always about a mile long, and I probably should create a stop-doings list instead. Lydie and I also have quite a bit in common, like our backgrounds. Well, he has a PhD in engineering. I have my master's in engineering. But we talked about the engineering thought process and how that can help you with problem solving in other areas of your lives. We talked about subtracting to change something from how it is to how we want it to be and why that actually works. We talked about why we add things instead of subtract and how this has been a part of our DNA as humans and how other animals do this as well. We also talked about the power of subtracting in athletic training and the point that without doing less, you can't do more and are less efficient. It also takes confidence to subtract things in your life because when you just continue to add things in and continue to say yes, it's because you're afraid that maybe another opportunity won't come your way. But if you say yes to too many things, it becomes a problem. And trust me, I know exactly what that's like. And we also talked about the point how subtracting is not the same as adding. So I think you'll find this conversation really interesting, and I'm excited for you to learn from Lydie. If you like topics like productivity, motivation, and mindset, I think you'll love my weekly newsletter that comes out every single Monday. So make sure that you are signed up at sonyalooney.com slash newsletter so you don't miss out on potentially life-changing articles. And I don't say that lightly. I've actually gotten emails from people telling me this. So go to sonyalooney.com slash newsletter to sign up. All right, let's dive right in and learn how to subtract. Lighty, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks, Sonia. It's great to be here.
0: Uh, What's the background with your name? And did I say it right?
1: (laughs) Oh, you got, yeah, you said it right. My son calls me Dodo. He conflated like Dada and Bodo's, which is a bagel place near us. And so he calls me Dodo. And now he's six and still calls me that. And all his friends call me that. So any <laughs> pronunciation of Lighty is better than Dodo, but you pronounced it exactly right. It's a family name, but it's a, a family last name and it's a uh, German origins, but it's not like there's people running around Germany with the first name Leidy. Um, and then interestingly enough on my mom's side, we think there's a, might be some tie-in to, there was a famous paleontologist, uh, Joseph Leidy back when paleontologists were famous. And, uh, we think there might be some relation there, but anyway, family last name on both sides.
0: Yeah. It makes you memorable for sure.
1: It's a, I mean, my parents were so smart with the with such a good Google name. Nobody's going <laughs> to, there's not going to be another one, right?
0: That's right. <laughs> How could they have known?
1: <laughs> How could they have known? Yeah, they're just, yeah, so forward thinking.
0: Yeah, so it was really fun, number one, getting into your book, but also into your background and seeing some commonalities. So you have a background in engineering. So let's hear about your engineering background.
1: I mean, I mainly did engineering because... I, mean, I knew I wanted to go to college and things. And I was, you mentioned the sports background. I was, grew up playing soccer and that was my thing. That was what I lived for. And, you know, so I picked a college based on where I could start right away my first year playing soccer and uh, was fortunate enough to have, again, good parents thinking about, okay, well, that, that's an okay way to make your decision. But I also had to stay in school and, get good grades. And I I mainly started out in engineering, just because everybody told me, well, if you think you might want to do engineering, you have to start in it. And it's hard to switch in. And so I started in it. And I've always kind of been interested in that, like, creativity and problem solving, and, you know, doing things with science, that is the basis of engineering. But I've always kind of found myself on the margins, you know, like very interested in In that process but not necessarily really interested in kind of sitting at a desk and doing calculations for example so you know throughout my engineering career i remember going to my advisor sophomore year in college and saying look i don't think i want to do engineering and he said well just just stay in you can you can do at the time i was thinking about law school or something he's like you can go to law school if you have an engineering degree and i've just kind of that's been the thing all the way through after i was done playing soccer i didn't want to do engineering, but I could get a job doing construction management. And then when I wanted to go back for my PhD, I, you know, I did like architectural engineering, which was a, a merger of engineering and more kind of design things. And now I have an engineering professor, so I guess there's no going back. And, um, but I like the things that I study is not necessarily the stuff that we engineer. It's more the, the how of, the thinking that goes into engineering. So I'm really interested in la- the overlap between psychology and design. So that's where I found myself and, you know, where the book is, but that's, that's my engineering story. It sounds like it kind of mimics yours, right? I mean, you've, <laughs> you've used it as a platform, but it's not like you're, you're the career path they're talking about <laughs> when they're telling the, the first year engineers what they can possibly do with their life.
0: No, I mean, I, I I, definitely had some options to be like a career engineer, but really I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I loved math and science and everyone else in my family was an engineer. So we just did engineering and the whole way through, I was like, I don't know if I want to do this, uh, but I know I can get a job. So, you know, whatever. And then I found mountain biking, like Near the end of my undergrad, and then I got some great offers for PhD programs, and I got invited to go to go to CU Boulder, and so really I moved to Boulder to become a professional mountain biker, but I was in the PhD program just so <laughs> I could, um, you know, have a flexible schedule, and then I opted out with a master's degree, and yeah. Anyway, so I love hearing people's paths and how you know we weave in our interests, and you're using systems thinking in order to you know create your own career path. <laughs>
1: Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, there is like a ton to love about engineering that, that thought process that you're taught and solving problems. You know, I think some of the stuff that we kind of, you and I might think of as, oh, this is just the way you like approach things. I, I, that's partly been trained into us in, in engineering. So, um, yeah, that's really interesting. I almost took a job at, CU Boulder. So we might've overlapped, but in 2008, when I interviewed for my first faculty job, I I didn't take the job there because it wasn't close to family. And everybody's like, what is wrong with you? This is like the best place in the world. You should totally be taking this job. But it was a lot of people who did a lot of mountain biking and and things like that. And I was more interested in playing golf at that time.
0: Yeah. So um, your book is about the idea of thinking about subtraction instead of addition and has some really great examples from like an evolutionary standpoint and just a historical standpoint as to why we subtract and then goes into more like cultural and then how to actually apply things in our lives. But how did you get from, you know, this work that you do in architectural engineering and and almost the behavioral science side of things and come up with this idea?
1: I think that the thing that brought me to the idea most directly was my interest in sustainability. Uh, and so how do we create this world? How do we shape the world around us so that it's that it can support us for a longer period of time? And, you know, climate change is a problem that I think a lot about. And if you think about what are some of the core mindsets that might be contributing to these problems, that was always how I would thought about, you know, some of these minimalist designs and been interested in, Oh, like, here's this super cool way you can build a house without a mechanical system. And, and it still heats and cools just as well, but it does it from the sun. And, you know, so there's all these cool, like engineering examples out there and and they're, you know, what was neat about them was they, they used less and, and did more, but I never really honed in on subtracting as A design act, or is like this fundamental thing that you do when you try to change something from how it is to how we want it to be. Um, And and a real (laughs) epiphany for me was playing Legos with my son, who was three at the time. He's six now, and this Lego story is like everybody's favorite. And so he's getting like semi-famous, which is hilarious. Um, (laughs) And it's making him have a little bit of a a big ego. He'll go around telling people like, "Oh, I I I taught people in Milwaukee how to subtract, and I taught people in San Diego how to subtract." Uh, so, so we're playing Legos and really what he showed me was what, you know, distilled this Act down for me. So we were playing Legos, trying to build a bridge, and the bridge wasn't level. And I tried to solve the problem to engineer, to design by turning around behind me and grabbing a block to add to the shorter column. And by the time I had turned back around, he had removed a block from the longer column. And again, he is not a subtracting wizard. He probably adds more than anybody, but he plays a lot of Legos. This was the rare instance where he took away to solve the problem. And, you know, that gave me this thing that i could carry around and show to other people and you know really describe my thoughts on what i was interested in which was when we have a situation whether it's you know the lego bridge or whether it's your training schedule whether it's some you know mental framework that you have in your head why is it that our first instinct is to think about what we can add to make it better And why do we overlook this option of, hey, what what might we take away to make this situation better? And, you know, we've since done tens of thousands of hours of research to confirm that that actually is the case, that this is what happens in general. What happened to me in that moment with the Lego structure was I thought of the additive thing and I would have executed it and not even considered subtracting if my son hadn't been there. And that's what our our brains tend to work that way. So like when we try to make something better, we think first of what we can add. And sometimes we just move on without even considering subtraction, which is the problem. You know, it's not that adding's always better. It's just that if we're not even considering this basic option, that can be a bad thing. So does that make sense?
0: Yeah, for sure. And it's just so interesting, number one, like how kids can teach you things and how they just view things in a different way. And that like I only have like a 16 month old, but I'm always amazed that you know, i have an idea of how something is going to be done but i let him show me and it'll be something that i didn't even think of
1: <laughs> it's awesome and you're just getting to the start of that i mean it, it only gets better for these next well i don't know i mean it's still going with him as a six year old but now it's it's a little bit more expected right because he's older and you're like well of course he can know ways of doing things that i don't but yeah it was uh another story uh, that ties into the subtracting and ties into bike riding. Hopefully this doesn't steal your thunder for later in the interview, but one of the, my favorite examples is the balance bike. Right. And so your 16 month old is probably riding around since you're a professional biker. But, um, most of the time it's like two-year-olds can ride these bikes, which the innovation is you subtract the pedals and you know, then you've got this little miniature bike that a toddler, as soon as they can toddle, they can walk on top of this bike. And then it's like a month of, or a, an hour of walking and they uh, they can learn to pedal like a Flintstones car and then they're gliding and balancing i was just out with my 2 year old daughter today and she's like going down the road at probably 6 to 8 miles an hour <laughs> and um the whole invention there the whole innovation this guy Ryan McFarland invented the strider bikes and he took away the pedals. And when I was describing that to my son, when we were riding his pedal, his, his, uh, his Strider bike, I was like, you're lucky. You know, when I was growing up, we had to wait until we were four. And then we had to pedal around with these clunky training wheels. And he's, he said, well, what's wrong? Didn't you have wrenches um (laughs) I said we didn't have these bikes when you were growing up and he said well what's wrong didn't you have wrenches and so it's like for him it's so obvious you could have just removed the pedals but um anyway yeah it will be uh it's it's a lot of fun watching the kids discover the world and and then discovering it with them and and seeing new things
0: so why is it that we always look to add things instead of subtract things and where did that come from
1: I mean, the short answer is we don't really know, like in terms of hey, we've got experiments to prove this it's it's kind of an unknowable thing, but one of the things I do in the book that you mentioned was the you know kind of tie in evolutionary reasons and cultural reasons might be happening, and so when we've evolved these mental shortcuts or these mental defaults, like in this case, the default is, okay, we're going to think about what we can add. There's often a, some kind of reason that it's been advantageous for us in the past as a as a species or even more than a species. And so one of the evolutionary reasons that we might add is because acquiring food has been advantageous. It's helped us pass down our genes to, to future generations and um, not just acquiring calories to consume right away, but also stockpiling food you can see that you know correlating with some of the behavior even in the pandemic right or some of the (laughs) you know overburdened pantries that we have but pack rats are famously stockpiled so the pack rats will create a pile of of stuff and if you take their pile of stuff they will immediately begin to stockpile and you're like well that's makes sense i mean we fill up our pantry after we've kind of after it's running low but pack rats aren't thinking and deliberating and planning they don't have that capability so what they're doing is stockpiling based on instinct and you know to the extent that we share genes with you know we've split off from pack rats way back when in the evolutionary scheme of things you know we we all share that kind of desire to acquire the other big one i think and especially true for I'm you know high achievers is this just desire to display competence. And you think, oh, well, that's not really an evolutionary thing. But in fact, it is, you know, tied into evolutionary advantage. And so the classic example there is these bower birds. They're the, these birds that build ceremonial nests. And so the male birds will build the nests and then the female birds will go around and look at the nests and choose which male to mate with based on which nest they like the best. And that's, you know, all kind of makes sense because nests provide shelter, except these nests don't actually provide any shelter for the young. After the females go around and mate with the male, the female goes off and builds the nest to actually raise the kids in. And so the whole purpose of these ornate, you know, ceremonial nests that are built by the males is just to show that this male is able to interact with the world in an effective way. They're capable of dealing with the world and that's been helpful in, you know, then the females see that that's somebody that's good to to mate with. And, um, you know, so whether it's female or male humans, that we all kind of share this desire to display competence. And some of the recent research has even taken it a step further that we display competence, not just by building physical stuff, but by completing tasks. Right. And so that starts to explain why, Okay, maybe one of the reasons it feels so good to have a a long to do list and to check off these items on it is because it's it's helping us show competence. And so and those are very those are reasons that are grounded in our evolutionary and have evolutionary roots to them that would kind of make us lean more towards adding than to subtracting. All that being said, the last evolutionary point I make in the chapter in the book is that, you know, evolution, if you think about how that has evolved over time, it's through this balance of adaptation, which is kind of adding, right, you add some new adaptation, and then selection, which is the subtractive piece. So if you use evolution as a metaphor, it might actually remind you that subtracting is a way to to move things forward or to make things better.
0: Yeah. And I like just thinking about things in a more almost philosophical realm and like just the word competence, like each person listening probably has a different idea of what they view as competence, what they value personally. And there's people that will like, you know, buy brand name things and buy bigger things just to try to show that they're like maybe rich or fancy, and that's how they display confidence. Or you mentioned, you know, certain types of high achievers, maybe it's like they have, they're displaying competence by having certain awards or results that are public. And there's just like all these different ways based on our own values of how we, how we view and value competence. So just understanding like how you view competence, it actually might not be by adding necessarily but it seems like in lots of ways it is it's either adding accomplishments or ad- personally adding like a to-do list or feeling like you're busy and valuable
1: yeah that's such a great point yeah and i'm glad you didn't say some for some of us it means writing a book right <laughs> <laughs> and that's displaying confidence well, as an author but, wannabe
0: um, um yeah you know <laughs>
1: It's fun you should totally do it then that but one of the hardest parts of of writing right and and probably podcasting is editing and taking out the stuff it's probably a little easier for you to edit the podcast because it's just the stuff where i I ran on but it's um when it's your own work it's really hard to take away the words and I have like a whole file of stuff that didn't make it into the book and I'm saving it for some you know, it's not going to make it, it's not going to see the light of day anywhere, probably, but um, it makes me feel better to save it. So that's a really great point. And it leads to the point that, you know, it doesn't mean we can't show competence through subtracting, right? If you subtract enough that, you know, the, the less can be visible. And those are some of the examples that I use in the book, but I think, uh, uh, yeah, I use a musician, Bruce Springsteen, and he, in one of his albums that's most critically acclaimed, Darkness on the Edge of Town. The thing that's different about it is the fact that he's just stripped everything down. He stripped down the instrumentals. He stripped down the lyrics. Um, he stripped down the number of songs. And everybody was like, oh, wow, this like revolutionizes rock and roll. Um, and so you can show competence in whatever field you're interested in by, by taking away. But you, you oftentimes have to do more of it.
0: Yeah. And I'm just, I'm just led to think of another example in that of like, if you look at, well, I'm sure you've looked at architecture magazines and, you know, cool home designs. And a lot of times they are simple. And on the inside of a house, it's not clutter everywhere. There's not stuff everywhere. It's like a very simple, you know, interior design too.
1: Yeah. Well, that's like Marie Kondo, right? I mean, she, when she has us tidy, it's not just, Hey, pick up, you know, 10% of the stuff your kid is throwing all over the room. It's like, declutter everything and so you you it's noticeably different what you come up with and so this idea of like persisting to noticeable less is something I talk about in the book and you know that it's like keep subtracting until what's not there is the story and you're exactly right with the the architecture i mean when you look at a minimalist design um one of the i use uh, Maya Lin's vietnam veterans memorial in the book but even you know, some of the modern home designs, that's what's cool about them is that there's not stuff there. Um, So yeah, really great example.
0: Yeah, that also made me think of Howard Rourke in The Fountainhead. Did you ever read that book?
1: No, I need to.
0: It's one of my favorite books. It's kind of nerdy, but basically he's like an architect. I think it was set in the 20s or maybe even earlier where all these architects had all these like ornate, you know, designs and things like that. And he was kind of like a modern architect that wanted things to be like functional, basic, simple, And there's a there's a ton of other overarching themes like altruism and individualism and all that stuff. But yeah, like this guy was kind of championed in the book because of his his view of simplicity and how he um, designed buildings. So you might actually like that book.
1: Yeah, I'll have to check it out. sounds like it would have been good to probably would have had fodder for my book. This That's one of the hard parts about going to talk to smart people like you after writing the book is you get these like little tidbits that, you know, it doesn't change what I would have written in the book, but it's like, oh, it would have been really cool to drop a fountainhead quote in there that people would have liked that. But yeah, thank you for the recommendation. Oh, yeah. I'm check it out.
0: Yeah. So I want to talk about subtracting in athletic training. You're a former professional yeah. athlete. And a lot of times, especially as endurance athletes, I don't know if you've heard of Strava, but it's like an online site that logs, like how fast you are, how many hours you're you're riding or running or whatever sport you're yeah. doing. But a lot of times people, you know, view themselves as more competent in sport if they are training more hours than other people or riding more miles than other people, but that can actually make you slower if you're not recovering or if it's not efficient training. So in terms of like subtracting an athletic training, what's a way that people can start doing that so that they can feel competent and valuable without trying to quote, keep up with a person doing the most miles or hours? Yeah.
1: I mean, well, first let's go back to the basic advice that I feel comfortable offering based on the research, which is that when you've got this situation that you're trying to make better, which in this case is your training plan, right? Or your just overall athletic calendar. Don't forget that subtracting is an option because of course, you know, it's not like this is always going to be the solution to, to train less, but I think just putting it out there on the table as, okay, I don't need to actually, more miles is not going to be what I need to perform better. And then the second thing i would say after offering that general piece of advice is that i'm horrible at this and this is like i was listening you know preparing for your podcast I, I always go through and listen to ones that i'm like okay what would be interesting for me and i'm listening to all these ones about like the latest performance experts and telling you how like mobility is important um and and you know the different things that can help with maximum performance and i i mean i was Done playing soccer competitively in t- 2001, and we just did not have the advances in sports science that you have now. Plus, I was just way on the spectrum of overtraining. So, I'm not going to have any amazing wisdom uh, on what I did. I was hoping you could fix this for me. Like, what are some examples of subtracting in? I mean, one of. I'll, and then I'll, I'll, offer one famous historical one. And then I want to hear your opinions on you on the, some of the ways we can subtract in our training and some of the ways I can do it. But, um, have you, the Zapotec effect, have you heard of that? Um, or the zatapec So it, I think it's Z-A-T-O-P-A-K. And it's this like guy who he won, I think it was the Olympics or some big race. And what happened, he was really sick before the race and, he therefore he couldn't train. So it wasn't that he like didn't train, but it was like the beginning of tapering. This was like the before tapering became a thing. This guy was forced to taper because he got sick and then he would like ran the race of his life and won. Um, he was, yeah. So that was one story that I flirted with putting in the book, but didn't put in the book. But it's a example in athletics of how, you know, subtracting some of this training can be more, but I don't know. I think the, uh, yeah, I'm interested to hear what you think, Sunny. (laughs) I've got one other idea, but I've been talking about it for a while. So you go.
0: Well, the the first time I thought about like subtraction and to me, subtraction is like doing less, was from this book, Peak Performance. And the authors are Brad Solberg and Steve Magnus. They have a really great online community and content community called The Growth Equation. So I highly recommend people checking that out. And they've been on the podcast. But Peak Performance is about... Making sure that you're doing the work, but also that you're resting. And this—it's not just for athletes. It's like for business people, for art, for artists. Because when you're resting, that's whenever you're going to be getting better. And a lot of times we feel compulsive about and and because we're passionate about it too. There's like a com- a compulsive part of the passion where you think you just have to keep pushing harder and harder. And there's all this research that just shows, like, effectively, less is more like if you can take time to rest, and it takes confidence to not overtrain and whatever, whether it's academic, whether it's, you know, in a sport, have the courage to rest. And that's been like a mantra I took from that book. And I've noticed that by subtracting out, you know, additional, like, I, I still train, but part of it was compulsive. I have to keep up with what everybody else is doing. I need to be doing this many hours because it looks good. But when I started doing less, I actually was getting faster because it was more quality. And this also goes for like, you know, alternating rhythms with working like 90 minutes on, and then you take a break instead of just more and more and more. So subtracting out some of the time that you're spending working in favor of letting your brain or your body recover has had like measurable gains across all these different areas. So I read your book. And then I thought immediately of that example.
1: That's awesome. Yeah. And it's neat how they, you, you're framing it in terms of having the courage to do this, right? Because all of a sudden it's becoming a part of your training again, right? It's like a courageous thing that Sonia is doing to take this rest day, which I think is exactly right. I mean, when I think about it, of course, I've thought about it when I, you know, I still run. That's the thing that I like to do the most. And thinking about subtracting for my running and it, you know, it leads to the same thing, which is like, okay, can I, can I run fewer days? I run into the problem where it's like, I love this. Right. And I don't want to taking a day off is, is hard. And just because it's like, I get a runner's high or I, and I, you know, that's my time to myself to think. And so kind of figuring out ways to replace that is necessary for me to subtract some of the miles. But I do think if I think about what's been most helpful for me, it's been thinking about, okay, look, rest is prescribed as part of the training program. So it's not a rest day. It's a training day, but it's like your training today is to rest. And maybe it's my hardest day of the week because I actually like to run. So that like the rest day, okay, I made it through my rest day. and Now I can go back to, back to training. So I think that's, I don't know. It's a, uh, it's hard though, because so many of, there's so much to do now. That's one of the other things I noticed. Like when I go to my physical therapist, I have like a hurt back now that, um, I'm just, it's not hurt so much that I can't run, but it's like just kind of lingering. And you know, he's like, here's 10 exercises to do. I'm like, great. That's 10 exercises. Am I supposed to like replace one of my things that I actually enjoy with these 10 new exercises? And there's just unlimited things that you can do for your fitness based on what people are recommending. So So I get that like rest is part of it, but now we have so many more things that you can do in addition to the main thing you're training for. Like if I'm training for running, then there's, you know, what about my mobility and my flexibility and my, (laughs) you know, all these other things. So I don't know how you, how you deal with that.
0: Yeah. I think a big part of whenever you have all these things to do is to make it doable and a lot of times if they're adding in, like I got to do strength work, I got to do, you know, my mobility, I got to do like all these different things and you just won't do it because it's just way too many things and you feel overwhelmed. So like subtracting the amount of uh, the amount of time even just mentally to get over that hurdle of getting started and saying, this is another thing I've, that's been helpful for me using subtracting is like, I got to show up and do five minutes or I got to do like one push up or just like lowering that activation energy so that you can get started has just made it totally doable to add in certain things, but also you're mentally subtracting at the same time so that that barrier to get started is easier.
1: Yeah, no, that's great. I mean, and, and then one thing that I have been able to subtract too, is like some of the stuff that I do for physical therapy is all about just like activating the muscles. Right. And, and getting different pieces of my body working. And then once I've done this, you know, whatever, uh, exercise for a while, that muscle's activated and I don't need to do it. And I have to remind myself that I can subtract it out. And so, I don't know, in this case, it's probably like subtracting in on muscle exercise so that I can focus on another one, but reminding ours, it kind of goes along with alternating what you're doing so that you're continuously growing. And to do that, you need to subtract some of the old stuff that, that you've been doing and work in some new things.
0: Something that I have heard you talk about and that I think was such a great point is that subtracting is not the same as not adding. So people say, well, I'm just not going to add yeah. in this stuff. And, and I'm totally like guilty of doing that. I j- I'm just not going to add anything in. But you're still overwhelmed you because j- you haven't subtracted. You're just not adding to the pile. So can you talk about that? <laughs>
1: Yeah, I mean my favorite example because it's my friend and he's really smart in so many ways is uh Ben Converse who's a co-author on the the main research that the book is based on and um so we're like 2 years into this research where we're doing all these like versions of the Lego thing that I did with my son except for way more scientific and uh and Ben goes to me, Hey, I'm taking our research to heart. He was all proud of himself. He says, My department chair came up to me and asked me to be on this committee. And I said, No. <laughs> I said, Okay, Ben, good job. Um, but all you did was just not add, you didn't subtract anything from your workload. And if, it, like you said, Sonia, if the issue is that like you're overtraining or you're overworked, not adding, just leaves you at that same level of overtrained and overworked. And to subtract means you've got to take something that's like, hey, this is something that I was planning on doing, I've been doing every week, and I'm just gonna stop doing it. And that is the only way to relieve your workload. And that is, it's it's really hard, but I think it's, you know, especially with our busyness, it seems like that is so much the the root cause here is that our our inability to take those things away. I mean Yeah. The pandemic's giving us a little bit of a, you know, a window into what that could look like, right? Because it's forced some of these big shifts on us. And of course, you know, the pandemic's this incredibly devastating, horrific thing that we would never wish to happen. Um, But it has like shifted our lifestyles in a way that we never would have done on our own. So it will be a real shame if the things that we've subtracted, like for me, work travel, um, I used to travel like 20 days a year going all over the World to meet with different professors and it's useful time. I mean, I'm meeting with people, but this past year being forced to talk over Zoom, I've had way better professional networking. Anyway, so it's subtracted out the work travel. Um, So yeah, uh, just to... I think it's incredibly important to distinguish taking away from, you know, not adding, which which you just did, and I think you know a stop doing is the the key thing there, and also using the pandemic as a way to or noticing the things that the pandemic has subtracted is also kind of a a way we might take advantage or, or move forward in a way that is better than what we left behind.
0: But how can you decide what to subtract if you feel like everything that you're doing, like, say, you have all these different projects or tasks and they're all like great and you like them all, you know, that subtracting would be better for you, but you're like, I just can't, I don't, I don't know how to let go. Like, how can people work towards that?
1: Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the hard part, right? Because these are all good things. And it's, so you're basically subtracting the least good thing, right? So that you have more time for the amazing things. And that's a, that's the tricky thing. I mean, going back to the Lego example, like a Lego block you know, it's not like that's a bad thing, but, and sure it's fine to have a bunch of columns, but if you, if you subtract it, that's a good way to make a more stable bridge. So I don't know, I think it's like kind of, you know, remind you you have this reminder that it's takes courage to have your day off, but it's also when you're prioritizing things to subtract, maybe think about what you're gaining as you're taking away these other good things or things that you like it's like yeah I like you know doing this few extra miles at the end of my run that are basically just junk miles but I I just like doing them and then you so okay but I'm willing to to get rid of that because what I really care about is my 10k time you know in two weeks and that's what I'm really shooting for so I think if you can yes Acknowledge that these are all good things and then subtract the the least good to give yourself a more manageable schedule so you can handle the, the really good things.
0: Yeah, it sounds like understanding what your top priority is, whether like for running, you could say, well, my top priority is to have fun. So a couple more miles right. is going to be that priority. But if you're training specifically to get faster, well, maybe, you know, doing less is better. So understanding what your top priority is will help people subtract.
1: Yeah. Yeah. What's, what's essential, right? Um,
0: yeah. I had Greg McKeown on the show about his book, uh, essentialism. That was pretty fun.
1: Yeah. Did you have him on about effortless yet?
0: No, I haven't.
1: <laughs> you got to get him back. See what, see what effortless is about. I read essentialism. I haven't read effortless yet. I haven't um, either. But yeah, it's, I mean, yeah, it's just, effortless is like kind of the opposite message of subtract, I think. But, but again, I haven't read it and I'm sure it's great, but um subtract like one of the reasons we i think we don't do it is because we think it's easy um and it, in fact it's it's harder i mean when we talk about it just cognitive even from the cognitive level that we started the show with you know we don't think of it as much it's not that we can't think of it it's just we don't think of it first it takes more thinking to think of subtracting to take away and then when we, when you go to do it you're kind of we've been talking about this mental struggle to okay even if you know I shouldn't be working out today or i should take today off it's still mentally hard to do so it's not effortless at all it's it's very it takes a lot of effort um so anyway and then even on a on a physical level um to subtract often requires that you've added in the first place right so it's it's just more steps so when for you know i'll use the training example again but to to subtract things from your training reg- regimen, you have to have this like overpacked training regimen to begin with, which means you've done all this work to create the training regimen in the first place. And so I think there, there is certainly a place for this do nothing approach or for the effortless approach. But I think one of the reasons we fail to subtract sometimes is because we're we're thinking that it's going to be effortless, when in, in many cases it's actually harder than harder than doing nothing and, and also harder than adding.
0: Yeah, and then there's also like the whole scarcity mindset, and then the loss aversion piece of how we view things, and that adds a whole other la- whole other layer of complexity. And like, really, you have to kind of be able to dig deep inside of yourself and tr- like be honest with yourself to see why you're doing things or why you're not doing things.
1: Yeah, I mean, and so loss aversion is um, basically it's twice as painful to lose something it is as it is like. Is it makes you feel good to gain something of the same value and there's a lot of experiments kind of showing that and it you know you can see it in all aspects of your life i mean this is why amazon will give you the free prime delivery for a year and then when you (laughs) then when you've had it for a year it's like you value it more than you would have if you hadn't had it ever in the first place um and but it's different than what we're talking about here because in our case, less isn't a loss. Um, It's not like we're, we're losing something where we're actually focused on situations where less makes it better. Um, And, and then the scarcity mindset one, I mean, that's really, that's really important here. um, Because so one of the ways, one of the things we did in our experiments with, you know, showing people default to adding was put them under more cognitive load so we had this really cool experiment that um as the people were solving the tasks uh to to add or subtract to make something better and subtracting by this point was in our experiments was like clearly the right answer so they're doing these tasks um and they're computer-based tasks and while they're doing the test there's a scroll of numbers across the bottom of the screen and every time a 5 comes by they have to push an f on the computer screen so it's basically like they're texting and driving right you're you're trying to do two things at once you don't have as much mental capacity to spend on the on the problem you're trying to solve and when we did that to people they were even more likely to add so you know and it makes sense if you're if you're distracted you go more towards the kind of the factory defaults in your brain, which are to add, and um, but this—if you're talking about this, okay—that those were our experiments. But now let's take this out in the real world, right? And so we're Sonia and lydia are going about our days, and we're um, you know just bombarded with information, and we're also trying to make decisions. And the more information we're bombarded with during the day, the more we add, <laughs> the the harder it becomes to come to these subtractive decisions, right? So you get caught in this kind of reinforcing loop where, okay, adding more information to your brain makes it harder to subtract. And when it's harder to subtract, you're more likely to add more information to your brain. And so um, we just keep, you know, acquiring, acquiring, acquiring. And so it's another way that it it becomes hard and not necessarily with physical stuff, but more with like the, the ideas that we're collecting so that's i mean that scarcity mindset i'm glad bring that up that and loss aversion are two really important things for you to pick out of the book and i'm glad you did
0: yeah and another layer on to the mental fatigue aspect there's actually a lot of research on mental fatigue and how it relates to physical performance and they've done a lot of studies there as well and that's that was like a huge lesson i learned a couple of years ago
1: yeah i read what's the guys is it endurance that talks about Endure, that alex yeah, hutchinson's yeah. book Yeah. Endure. Endure. Yeah. I, yeah. I wish I never read that book because now (laughs) I'm like, oh, I'm tired. This must be why I'm not performing well. But it's so, and when you have kids, it's so true because I mean, it's one thing when you're like, oh, I got half an hour or less sleep because my roommate woke me up in college. It's like, that doesn't really screw up your performance that much. But when it's like, oh yeah, two weeks of, you know, crappy sleep, I should not be expecting to run my fastest time today. Um, it's and yeah, that's that was really interesting. Also, some of the ways that you can kind of trick your trick your brain in the other way so if you're like in doing a really hard workout um like counting backwards from 200 have you ever tried that
0: yeah all right um, or just even counting yeah. to 10 or like anything <laughs> like just to, but actually really? i notice i notice when i'm really fatigued i can't i can't do basic math like i i actually can't do it which is really funny
1: <laughs> yeah i think it, it worked for me with definitely not like the end of the race sprint, but if I'm doing like a 10k was a good distance where I'm like trying to pace myself and for the first part you're kind of under control. And I heard that the counting back from 200 works because like counting to 10, it's better what I heard about counting backwards from 200 being better than counting to 10 was that it requires you to think a little. like you can automatically count to 10 without thinking. but if you count backwards from 200, you have to think. But then anyway, you know more than I do about endurance. Well, uh, oh, I think forwards, it's really obviously. like
0: individual, like for me counting to 10, just it, it minimizes uh, like I'll do it during like an interval or something. It'll just minimize or punctuate that time so that it doesn't seem as long.
1: <laughs> I see. So you like count it based on how far into the interval you are?
0: Or even just if there's like a minute left, I'll still count yeah. to 10 because it just breaks up that amount of time mentally to be like, OK, like I don't have six yet. I, I, don't, got, I don't have to count to six yet. I only have to count to 10. Yeah, <laughs>
1: I'll have to try that. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Um, I was—I uh, had another counting example. Oh yeah, I—I I mean, as an engineer, I do all kinds of math when I'm running. But you're exactly right. Once you, once you get to a certain point, you can't do the math anymore.
0: And another kind of un, like deeply underlying part of this and a topic I like to bring up is self-worth because we're talking about competence. We're talking about you know things that make us feel like we're valuable on a daily basis, whether it's being over busy or being having the courage and confidence to do a little bit less, knowing that that's going to create a more efficient and more fruitful outcome. So you know a lot of times people's self worth is tied to how many hours they're working or how many achievements they have. So like, what what are your thoughts on adding subtraction or adding subtraction on subtracting um, and competence and all these themes that we've been talking about and how that can impact self-worth and has that impacted yours.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm super like type A, want to spend my time like trying to make the world a better place. And so for me, when I'm subtracting, it generally is in the service of something that I think is gonna be more effective at like kind of achieving my goals. And so that like in that case, it's like this reminder that hey, time is not finite time is or time is finite um and it's our most precious resource and how we're you know just being really careful how we're spending it um helps me be pretty ruthless in my subtracting of things that aren't kind of helping me get towards what my goals are so i think it becomes like this alignment between okay you know, again, back to this core thing It's like when we're trying to change something from how it is to how we want it to be, we default to adding. And I think it's really clear to set the the how we want it to be. And and I don't think we spend, you know, in my case, at least when I'm when I find myself over adding or I, it's because I haven't thought about where I want to be, right? I'm I'm sitting there going to these redundant meetings, because I want to make sure that my work colleagues think of me as like this reliable person who comes to all the meetings and really what I want is to you know make a contribution to knowledge and make sure that my students have access to other good collaborators and then also have time to spend with my kids and you know keep myself healthy so that I can be doing this for a long time and uh So again, it's like, if I focus on that, then it becomes easier to subtract, to see these things that should be subtracted, um, in my case. And I think that's something when you talk about self-worth, it's different for everybody. I know some people, you know, their goal is, Hey, let's, let me stop working so that I can just spend all my time doing whatever, exactly what I want to be doing. And in that case, you'd be subtracting things that aren't kind of helping you get to that goal. I don't know. Do you have tips of of things that work for you? I mean, I think when we get to things like this, it, you know, I'm basically offering my personal opinions. And so everybody's opinions are, are equally interesting.
0: Uh, Yeah. Well, I think it's why it's interesting to ask. And it really sounds like when you're trying to think of subtracting and that's kind of the point you're trying to drive home is like, don't always don't underestimate the power of subtracting. It's kind of Thinking big picture, big picture thinking is a big part of knowing what to subtract and why. And then having an idea of what your longer term goals are so that you can use this finite amount of time and in, in an effective way and not add in things that that don't align with that goal.
1: Yeah, well, that's awesome. And that's back to that systems thinking that you talked about in engineering in the beginning. Right. <laughs> and it, I mean, just systems thinking in the most, you know. For all the listeners who aren't engineers, don't worry. This has nothing to do with engineering, but systems thinking, just being like, look at the big picture, right? And and if you can zoom out and get away from the incremental, like, okay, here's the ten things on my to do list. I mean, sure, we have to be in that mode some of the time, but we also have to take the time to zoom out and be like, okay, what do I really want to accomplish? And and that kind of can help us break away from this default and endless march of of adding to try to make things better. Um, and And then if you're also kind of coming at that, this new vision with more tools, so you've got adding as a tool and you've also got subtracting as a tool, you're, you're more likely to achieve it.
0: Yeah. And to kind of wrap this up, you talk about a less list in your book. Can you talk about that a little bit?
1: Yeah. I mean, I try to distill the book into a few like takeaways and the less list is some of them. And one of the reasons I mean, I think you need to read the book for the list to make sense probably, but it basically goes with subtract before you try to improve the situation. So that's the first step in the less list. And basically it's saying that, okay, everything we're doing in our world or the world is just a complex place. Right. And there's all these, this information and all these variables and all these kind of things that are going on that you might try to represent in your mental model of the situation that you're trying to make better. And you've got to like, appreciate that nuance and complexity. But then when you go to actually before you try to improve the situation, you do need to boil it down into like a manageable amount of stuff just because of this cognitive capacity that we talked about before. I mean, basically, when you try to change a situation, you can only be thinking about a certain amount of things at any given time. And if and if you don't, do the hard work of prioritizing what those most important things are you you might just be distracted by whatever comes to mind first. Yeah, and so the second step becomes make subtracting first and and the reason that works is because if you remember back to what the fundamental problem here is is that we are thinking adding and then we move on without even considering subtracting. So if we can force ourselves to think subtracting first, then we've avoided that problem and I can assure you you're not going to forget that adding is an option. So one of the tools I think about with subtracting first, it's like, think about the game Jenga versus the game Legos. In Jenga, you have to pull a block out before you start, and then you can add blocks on. And Jenga basically goes on indefinitely, and has but it has this totally different behavior than the game of of Legos, which you just add a whole bunch of Legos together and then you store them and buy the next set. So <laughs> Jenga is an example. Yeah, you're, you're getting to this stage, Sonia. Um, but my son, who was so good at subtracting with the, the Duplos now has tens of thousands of Legos. I mean, we put an addition <laughs> on our house because we needed an addition, but he's filled up the bottom story of it with Legos. And, you know, so Lego is kind of encouraged this adding, but Jenga is this game that just sits there and I never get any more Jenga because the game works by subtracting first and then adding. So kind of think about that in your own mental process. And then we talked about um, persisting to noticeable less a little bit before. So it's like sometimes to get past this, to show competence and to do the really awesome subtracting it's often not just a matter of like tidying up a little it's a matter of like slashing big things so that you can see the difference um and that could apply just as well to your to your workout routine as it could to one of the examples i use i mean i I use Kondo in the book for that because you know her tidying is like big tidying and you will see an improvement and uh and then the last step is is remembering that you can reuse your subtraction. I think we've talked a lot about like some of these systematic disadvantages for subtracting versus adding. I've, I've I've contended that subtracting is is harder in a lot of ways, harder to think of, harder to follow with through with, harder emotionally. But there's a huge advantage with subtracting in that you can reuse what you've taken away. And the example I use in the book is donut holes. And so, I mean donuts. <laughs> it's like this classic balls of dough you know, had their middle for a really long time. And there's all this like kind of urban legend around who was the first person to pop the hole out and realize that that made the doughnuts cook more evenly and you could spread more cinnamon sugar on them. But then it took even longer before someone realized, oh, like that ball of dough that we took out is actually like its own sellable thing. And so when you think about, okay, donuts, that's kind of a trivial thing and actually not really even a helpful thing. If you're talking about exercise or physical fitness or really anything except for getting a treat, the same principle applies with your calendar, right? So if you subtract something from your calendar, now you've got your new and improved calendar. Plus you've got the the saved time from that subtraction. If you subtract something like economically, right? So one of the, I use divestment in the book is this example of people Divestments, okay, you don't believe in something, whether it's apartheid in South Africa or climate, you know, or you want to work against climate change. So you stop investing in the things that are contributing to those problems. And when you subtract your money, when you subtract your investment in those things, not only have you like kind of moved the needle on this issue that you care about, you've also got your money left over that you can now invest in something else. So re- don't forget to reuse your subtractions after you've gone through and done it, because that's some uh, an, an advantage that subtracting has that adding doesn't.
0: Yeah. Like all the stuff in your book, maybe that's like fuel for additional, maybe it's not a book, but maybe like additional content or ebook or, you know, there's tons of things you could still do with that.
1: Yeah. Oh, the experts. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. And I'm trying to think of some of the other ones. Um, yeah. Thank you. That's a good, good idea. I don't know though. Some of them are pretty bad.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And I I think another addition, another addition to the subtraction is like in the creative process, there's going to be a lot of things that have to get cut, but you need to actually go through that process in order to get to the good stuff. And I also, I think about like with an equation, if you have like a really complicated equation or problem that you're trying to solve, you are trying to distill it down. But a lot of times it's like, looking at all these different ways to solve it and kind of adding in ideas before you can even get down to the actual thing that you're trying to subtract too.
1: Yeah. Again, an example of you putting it better than me after the fact. And I think that, I mean, I I think that's a distinction between like, oh, this is easy, right? When you think it's easy, you just like come up with 10 words of text that are not very good when, but when you recognize that subtraction is hard, you like write out a hundred words and then (laughs) cut down to 10. And those are the 10 amazing words. And so that's, yeah, that's exactly the difference.
0: Well, where can people get your book? And if people want to dive deeper into your research, where can they find that?
1: Both at the same place. So, I mean, I'm the best representation of my research and this, what the stuff we've talked about is in the book. Um, and you know, and that you can get wherever books are sold. Um, and there's an audiobook version. If you're listening to this podcast, you might like audiobooks. It's, you know, seven hours of mountain bike training. You could be all the way through the book. Um, <laughs> you might not remember the parts where you were pedaling hard. And um, yeah, so anywhere books are sold, and there's an audiobook version. I'm, I, have a, I said my parents gave me a good Google name, so you can always Google me to see <laughs> if there's anything new that I'm up to. And I'm on Twitter trying to do a better job with that, sharing you know what's going on but it's mostly stuff related to what we talked about
0: great well thanks so much for coming on the show and for thinking outside the box and letting your son school you at lego so that you can help people subtract in their lives
1: (laughs) yeah he'll be glad thanks so much for for having me on this was really fun and i appreciate the work you're doing like sharing all this uh all this insight in a in a new and uh, a unique package i think it's really really beneficial.
0: I hope you guys enjoyed that episode. Please don't forget to rate and review and subscribe to the show as it will help it reach others. If you're finding the show useful, please share it with your friends. That's the best way to help grow this podcast. And I put my heart and soul into the show and getting more ears listening to it would mean the world to me. So thank you so much in advance for doing that. And we'll see you right back here next week. And don't forget I'm with you on this journey of personal growth, adventure, and our mission to be better every day.